In Casper, Wyoming, there's a place where Indians once slaughtered giant herds of buffalo by driving them into a deep deep gorge. Now, this particular place has a very unusual name. Twenty miles west of Idaho Falls, there's a remnant of a 500-year-old lava flow. This place, too, has the same name. Twenty miles west, or I'm sorry, on route, at, at Route 66, or as Route 66 leaves Missouri for Kansas, there's an old abandoned processing plant that once serviced a dormant zinc and, un, uh, and lead mines. That place has the same unusual name. Finally, during World War II, there was a makeshift hospital in Italy built between a fuel depot and an ammunition depot. This hospital was within reach of German guns. There, six nurses died tending to the wounded. This place, like the others, is known by the same name. And I could continue naming places across the world, it wouldn't be hard at all, that share this same name. It is called Hell's Half Acre. But I want to direct you to a place in Scripture that would rightfully or could rightfully be named the same name. 1 Samuel 14, 13 through 15. And Jonathan climbed up upon his hands and upon his feet and his armor bearer after him. And they fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer slew after him. And that first slaughter which Jonathan and his armor bearer made was about 20 men. Within, as it were, a half acre of land which a yoke of oxen might plow. And there was trembling in the host in the field, and among all the people, the garrisons and the spoilers, as they also trembled, (coughs) excuse me, and the earth quaked, so it was a very great trembling. On this half acre of ground, there was opposition. On this half acre of ground, there was also victory. Now, I want you to follow me very closely. On the same half acre of ground, there was opposition, but there was also victory. God majors in the minors. He delights in taking weak things and making them strong. He enjoys showing up when the deck seems stacked against us. I don't know whether you've had that happen or not, but it happens to me all the time. Just when everything's about to go wrong, and I'm about to draw a deuce to my full house. I don't do that stuff anymore, but I used to more than you would ever want to know. God comes in and straightens everything out. I throw my cards down and win the pot. Don't you feel like the pot's about to come your way? Mm. (laughs) He likes doing that. For man's extremity invited God's majesty. 
You see, when we get to that extreme place, that's when majesty and glory begins to show up. And we begin to see just how mighty, just how big, just how wonderful our Lord really is. But it takes opposition. It takes a hardship. It takes difficulty for us to understand how big He really is. Mm. God's Word declares that there will always be a faithful remnant. Always. There will be some people who will not give up on God. No matter what, I'm not going to give up on God. Daniel may leave me in a lurch and go be a deacon at the Baptist church, but I'm not going to give up on God. Tony might leave me and find him a wonderful woman and say, I'm, i just got to move to Honolulu, Brother Robertson, because that's where she is. But I'm not going to give up on God. Come on. Eldar might decide that he's going to go to Tahiti. Too hot down there. I don't have to worry about that. But I'm not going to give up on God. Do you understand what I'm saying? Your whole family might fall apart. The Bible says that can happen. But I'm not going to give up on God. There's always going to be a faithful remnant. There's always going to be a few that says, I refuse to give up. I'm not giving in to what this world says I have to do. I refuse. I'm not going to give up on God. Oh, tell it now. Tell it. Hallelujah. Let him know how much you love him. Let him know how much you love him. Let him know. Oh, praise God. Praise God. Mm. Mm. There will always be those that hold to the promises of God regardless of the circumstances that surround them. Like the three Hebrew children, they don't bow, they don't bend, and they don't burn. Like Naaman's maid, they sing songs in a strange land. Like Obadiah, they refuse to bow to the worship of the majority. And regardless of what others do, the remnant says, I'm going to hold on to God. I'm going to hold on to God. I'm going to hold on to God. They will not let him go. They permit him to move. They permit him to be God. And they let God arise and they watch the enemies begin to scatter. Come on. Oh, we got to praise tonight because God is going to do something great. We're not guessing. We're not hoping for it. We're believing it and knowing it tonight. story in our text is about two such men. They are part of what we're going to call the revivalistic remnant. All right? They refuse to accept no for an answer. And they push through and achieve a victory against impossible odds. Completely impossible. Part of the story is old. Israel had displeased God. The nation had grown weary of the moral Samuel and chose the amoral Saul. She grew weary of looking to a prophetic word and chose carnal methodology. No matter how much, and I believe in organization, but you can never organize the anointing out of the church. Methodology will not give you revival. And no matter what we do, still, there still has to be an anointing in the pew and an anointing behind this Bible stand. 
There must be. There must be. She turned. Israel turned from a theocracy to a monarchy, from God to man. She trusted in herself more than her Savior. Saul is appointed king and promptly forsakes God. God forsakes Saul except to make sure that he's tormented by what might have been. Israel grows spiritually destitute. She turns from truth and she believes lies. And as with other times in Scripture, God permits the enemy to rise and Israel falls. Soon the enemy comes against Israel to inflict destruction. 30,000 iron chariots, 6,000 mounted cavalry, and an army as numerous as the sands of the seashore oppresses Israel. And guess what there isn't in Israel? There's no blacksmith in Israel. No blacksmith. No smith in Israel. No weaponry. No king we're speaking of. The Israelites flee from the Philistines from the Philistines and they take cover. Those who remain with King Saul, about six hundred men, were frightened and they were miserable. They followed this king of their own making with more than just a little bit of regret. King Saul did not know whether to attack, surrender, or run, so what he does is he plopped down beneath a pomegranate tree in Gibeah. He just simply says, I don't know what to do, so I'm just going to sit under this tree and whine. There's too many Saul's out there. Too many pomegranate sitters. Too many people that plops themselves down under the pomegranate tree and says, Oh my. The armies of God camped out while the enemy reigned supreme. Now that's exactly what was happening. While they reigned supreme, here they were camping out. Now this is what we're going to call the Saul system. Now this is a Saul system at work in a religious world. What we have with Saul and his 600 men is a convocation of marshmallow roasters. Everybody wants to go camping. We should be fighting. We're camping and we're roasting marshmallows today. Would you like one? Where's the Philistines? Oh, they're up there. But here, I'm going to sit right here with one of these. You ever seen these big marshmallows they got now? Man, monsters. I don't like them. <laughs> well, you have to burn them up to get them hot in the middle. Come on. You take about 14 of those little bitty ones and put them on a stick, and you can roast them, and they get all gooey in the middle, and you just shove them in, have goo running down your face. Tastes good. We have a convocation of marshmallow roasters out there. Huh? Is that what we have? A fellowship with the do not disturb sign hanging outside the door. A lot of our churches are that way anymore. Everybody comes in, they hang do not disturb out there on the outside door. Is that right? Huh? Do not disturb. Don't you come in and bother me. Not when I'm in the middle of my worship. I'm pleasing my God. This poor person comes in, you know, they're dragging themselves in. They need something from God, but you're all, well, you know, you're all up in your own worship. We keep worshiping, God will give us revival, and there's 15 people laying outside the outside door. Ooh, my goodness. I'm feeling good now. So long as we have just a little bit of shade, a little rest, please do not disturb. 
prayerless, backslidden, confused, but resting. Satan longs to put fear in the hearts of God's people. And this method usually works when we compromise, backslide, and quit reaching for God. That's exactly when it comes up. For the righteous are as bold, the Bible says, as a lion. The righteous are as bold as a lion. That means a righteous person is going to go forth. Oh, they're going to come in, they're going to worship, and they're going to set the place on fire, if you would. But they're going to take that fire with them. And they're saying, my life is going to be better, and I'm going to transplant some of what I have onto somebody else. I want to see them have this same thing that I've got. That's what this is all about. I want to I'm not a part of a bunch of marshmallow roasters. I'm as bold as a lion. Praise God. Praise God. You know, the righteous refuse to rest while the enemy runs rampant in the land. Come out from amongst those pomegranate trees, people. Come on now. Come out from among them. There's spiritual fruit that is ripe for the picking, but we have to get out of the pomegranate trees. For those who believe and have faith for victory, they're going to have victory. You're going to have it. You're not a bunch of people on the wrong side of the tracks. You're on the right side of the tracks. And you're on the right side of God. You're standing at the right hand of God and you need to act like you're standing on the right hand of God. I've got something worth talking about. I've got something worth talking about. I've got something that the world needs. I'm not going to sit on it. I'm not going to put a do not disturb sign on the outside of the church. I'm not going to sit down under a pomegranate tree. I'm going to take this message and I'm going to preach it wherever I go. All this time, there was only two swords in Israel. Two. One was in the hand of King Saul. The other was in the hand of his son Jonathan. One sword was sheathed. The other was in the hand of his son. You got that? You can talk about what you are and how powerful you are all you want to. But if you're walking around with your sword in the sheath, I don't think too much of you. I'd rather go out there and face a great big enemy with a sword in my hand. If I'm going to go down, I'm going to go down fighting. I'm going to go down fighting. Too many of people are afraid that someone's going to put them down. You've got a sword in your hand. You've learned how to use it. You don't have to worry about that. That'll never happen. That can't happen. Thankfully, Jonathan's tiny company was not influenced by Saul's ways. This group within a group, this group, this church within a church, this proves what I'm saying here. Now, I want you to get this. I've, I've preached about a church within a church for years, and this, this scripture proves it. It was a tiny company that came out from 600 men, two men. They came out from 600 men, the church within a church. One group had their sword drawn. There was only two of them. The other 598 were all sitting under pomegranate trees. So there is a, there's a church in a church. You young people, don't mess with Don't worry about these old, these old fogies. Don't mess with them. Draw your sword. Come on. Set around. Don't try to make up your mind whether you're going to serve God or not. Make up your mind once and for all. Draw the sword and go out and do something. Come on. Don't sit around and try to decide. Get that decision made. There's nowhere else to go. There's nothing else to do. This is the greatest thing that you'll ever, ever find in this world. I promise you that. Praise God. 
This little group within a group upset the status quo. This group within a group that said, let's see what God can do. A group that steps out from the shade and says, let's have a move of God. That's what they were. That's have a move of God. That's what they were doing. Jonathan and his armor bearer marched up to the Philistine outpost and achieved what an army could not, and that was victory. What motivated Jonathan? What motivated Jonathan to attack a, a greater force? The first thing that motivated him was a certainty. Certainty. First Samuel 14, 6 says, There is no restraint to the Lord. To save by many or by few. Hell's half acre is conquered first with this inward certainty. I know this is going to happen. I know I'm going to get better. I know. I had a little whining session the other day. I went to the doctor and the doctor said, I'm not sure you're ever going to get any better than what you are. I said, well, my wife said that for years. He said, if you've still got that limp in the year, a year from now, come see me. He said, he wants to see me every 10 weeks, but, you know, a year from now is when he's going to try to do something. I don't know what else he's going to do. I'm not going to do anything. He just said there was nerve damage and stuff. But, you know, and, and I, I come home, and I was dis disappointed, disillusioned, and I know better. I know what God did for me before, but it's so easy to fall back into. So easy to fall back into that. And so you have to make up your mind. I apologize to my wife because I was. I didn't, you know, I said, oh, I, I, you know, I, you know how I am. I like to get her out and I like to do things. I like to chase varmints in the woods and, and all that kind of thing. And, and, and I'm not, I don't want to not be able to do that. And, you know, I don't want to walk like Amos McCoy. You wouldn't know who Amos McCoy was. So, so that, I don't want to walk like him the rest of my life. As some of you old folks remember the real McCoys back in You remember, don't you? You know, I don't want to do that. And, you know, I made up my mind. I was praying tonight. I said, God, I said, I know what you did for me before, and you can, you can, can, you can do this. But I have to have a certainty. I have to have a certainty up here that he will do it. So it's the inward certainty that, that, that Jonathan had. And the odds were stacked against Jonathan. The enemy was great in number. They had chariots and they had cavalry. He had nothing but a sword. The enemy had the high ground at Michmash. But none of these things moved Jonathan. None of them. For imprinted in his heart was certain, was the certain that God or certainty that God was with them. He knew that God was with him. Do you understand what I'm saying? I wish, you could, I wish that could be transferred. Now, I don't care how bad you feel, how rough things are. You need to be certain that God is in your corner, that everything's going to be okay. You are a child of God. I am a child of God. God is with me. God is here. God is with you. God is with you. God is right there. God can move any situation, change anything in an instant. And this was a certainty that Jonathan had. You know, there's a rendering. This is just a rendering. Uh, but it's an interesting take on this scripture. And I want you to listen. To this. this is from the message for Samuel 14 and 6. I read it to you. There is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. But the message renders it this way. There is no rule that says God can only deliver by using a big army. No one can stop God from saving when he sets his mind 
to do it. You, you get that? Nothing can stop God from saving when he sets his mind to do it. Do you know that if you would get your mind to set as God's mind is set on seeing you get to heaven, that you would just rejoice all over this place, you couldn't keep your mouth shut, you'd go home, you go to work, everything would be about God, your whole mind, your whole heart, your whole mindset, everything would be about God because you were as certain as God is certain. Nothing can stop a child of God when his mind is set to do it. Satan fools the saints who do not keep this in the forefront of their minds. You have to believe that all the time. Always in the forefront. He distracts people with a large show of force. He disheartens people with a menagerie of opponents. He sidelines those who don't have this inward certainty. We often forget that God doesn't need big to do big things. Do you think God needs a big club to take care of things? He can do it with one little speak like that. He doesn't even have to say the words. He can just... And all of a sudden, you know, that devil that was beside you just, poof. He could just think it. He could just blink his eyes. That's all he needs to do. Are you certain that God loves you? You better be certain that God loves you. Do you have the certainty then to go forth into hell's half acre and get victory instead of being defeated over and over and over again? I refuse to be defeated in hell's half acre. There's victory there as well as opposition. Praise God. Jonathan said it may be that God will work for us. Jonathan was certain God could, but he was not at all sure that he would be the instrument of God's deliverance. Now, now get this. Get this. He said, it may be that God will work for us. I know God can, but is God going to use me as an instrument? There's only one way to find out. You got that? Yes, God can. I'm so sure of that. I know that he will. But how... Do I really know that he's going to do this? Do I? Is God going to use me? Or is he going to go back in one of the 598 and pick two more? There's only one way to find out. I've got a sword. I'm going to pull it. I'm going to go over to Micmash and see what happens. Now, you've got to understand something. If God did not choose to use Jonathan, he probably was going to lose his head. He was probably going to get run through 45 times. Regardless, he's some, something bad's going to happen. But he still went because he knew how good God was. Do you, do you get that? I'm going to serve God. I believe God can make something great out of me. I believe God can do what God said he will do. And if he chooses not to show somebody how great he is through me, I'm going to just I'm going to do it anyhow. Because sometimes you just simply do not know until you place yourself in the position to find out. That's where the Bible says try the spirits to see whether they be of God. Sometimes you just have to step out in faith and believe God is going to do it. I like what he said that. God turned this maybe into a miracle. 
God brought the assurance to Jonathan where he did not speak of possibilities, but of provision. Hear that. When an inward certainty of God's goodness grips us, the maybe God can use us begins to take over. From babies come adults. From maybes come full-grown miracles. From maybes come full-grown miracles. You know, some of you young guys out there was in my preacher's class. Some of you that weren't there that should have been, but we can't help some of that. Um, you know, I, I, look, I look at them, and, and I, I, I know how they think. They're a lot younger than I was. I was an old guy before I started preaching. But I remember hearing some, even, even Jason Sisko, you know, when he started preaching, he was about 14 years old, and people looked down their nose at him, and, you know, he, he was kind of out there. Some, some things God did with him, it was more than most Pentecostals could, could understand, you know. Pentecostal is the only miracle that happens to them. They get the Holy Ghost and they sit down and hope the Lord comes instantly. <laughs> now, it's most of them, not you. said most of them. I'm talking about worldwide. You know, and, and uh, he, God began to use him. He looked down. And, and you know, now I, I can imagine at times uh, the Youth con- Congress is coming up, and I can imagine at times when he would sit out there wondering if he could ever be the guy that was up there, but now he is the guy that is up there. You know, it came through a great deal of hardship, and it came through saying, maybe God can use me. And going forth with his sword drawn and giving God the opportunity to use him. That's all it takes, is giving God the opportunity. Through faith, a crying baby in a basket becomes a deliverer. A baby in a manger becomes a savior. A stone in a sling brings down a giant. A lunch of five loaves and two fish becomes a banquet. That's all through faith. Faith in God turns your maybes into miracles. Thank God for the Jonathans in our midst. Thank God for the people who don't wait for everyone to get on board. Not everybody's going to get on board. It was two that went out there and had the miracle. Not everybody's going to be with you. They step out in faith. They say, I believe God is in the miracle working business. They go out on a limb and say, the Lord wants to move now. I love that. I said this a long time ago. These are the people that go out on the limb and saw the limb off they're sitting on. And they're still sitting there when the tree falls and and the limb's still up there. That's the kind of people. Do you understand that kind of faith? It's believing God to the extent that I am willing to go up there and take a chance. Thank God for Jonathan's in our midst. They fill vans. And they say, let's see what God will do. Here's one Jonathan right here in front of me telling me to preach. I'm trying my best, brother. All right. They teach home Bible studies. They say, let's watch God move. I know why is it that I had this seminar at home Bible studies and the home Bible study person wasn't there last night. I, no, no, I, no, no, I've got the microphone. You don't get to talk. All right. Thank God for Jonathan's in our midst. They fill vans. They teach home Bible studies. They form groups and say God is working here. Thank God for the people who will not sit back, who will take a step of faith and believe that your maybe is becoming a miracle, that your prayer request will soon be a testimony. Mm. Come on now. And let me tell you one other thing. Your trial is just about to become a triumph. 
I want you to notice, though, Jonathan was in the minority. There were 600 of his fellow warriors cooling their heels. So Jonathan reached out for the only other person who was with him in spirit and purpose, and that was his armor bearer. Hell's half acre is conquered through an inward certainty that God is with us. It is also conquered through unity, whereby we are with God. Follow me. Saul's group was decidedly large. He had 600 soldiers with him. Jonathan's group had only two, he and his armor bearer. But Jonathan's tiny group had something Saul's group lacked, and that was unity. In 1 Samuel 14, 1, he said, Now it came to pass upon a day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said unto the young man that bare his armor, Come, and let us go over to the Philistines' garrison that is on the other side. But he told not his father. Notice who Jonathan did not have with him. He did not have with him a deserter from his former company. It was not a deserter. He did not have a doubter like his father Saul. No doubters was with him. He did not have a discourager like the backslidden priest who was with Saul. In the multitude of godly counsel, there is safety, but in the multitude of ungodly counsel, there is harm. When Jonathan told his armor bearer his plans, listen to the man's response. He said, and his armor bearer said to him, do all that is in thine heart. Turn thee, behold, I am with thee according to thy heart. That's unity. That's an armor bearer that believed that man that was in front of him was going to lead him somewhere. God, I just, I feel the Holy Ghost when I read that. That took some faith. Jonathan had the sword. His armor bearer didn't have nothing. But his faith more than made up the lack of weaponry. It is little wonder that they did not tell Saul what they were doing. Saul tried to strap a set of strange armor on a young man previously. See, Saul tries to do things his way. Saul tries to change things and do things his way. Saul always says, you're not ready. You need more of this and that. Saul counsels for delay. Not today, maybe tomorrow. Yes, I believe that Saul marched his 600 against the Philistines. God would have given him the victory. After all, Gideon marched his 300 against the Midianites, and he saw them fall. God would rather have a small group united than a large group untied. Are you hearing me? A small group united will do more than a large group that is just simply untied or unleashed. It's the unity that makes the difference. It's knowing that that leader of that group is going to take you somewhere and you're going to help them. You're going to be with them. You're going to help them. You're going to back them up. You got their back. No matter what, you got their back. Think of it. Israel's hope and God's interest on planet earth rested on the shoulders of one man who said, I want to fight. That one man extends a hand to another and says, will you fight with me? That's all there was. The, you, the, you, you know, we read these things. We read them like stories. But everything rested on that battle right there. You understand that? All of history of Israel could have changed. If Israel's history changed, our history would have changed. Everything rested. Everything that you have right now rested on that man that day in that armor bearer. The Bible says they fought on a half acre about the size of ground that a yoke of oxen would plow in a single day. Unity is all in a day's work. That's simple. When two or three gather together to pray, when a couple of folks get concerned about the direction of another... 
When people commit, we will reach the lost together. When small group believes for miracles, when mother and father race together to save their family, they begin they begin a push back the night and see a great deliverance. They begin. You understand when people feel that way, they're pushing back the night. They're pushing back the darkness. They're saying, I'm not going to let darkness take over this brother. I'm not going to let darkness take over this sister. I'm not going to let my family go to hell. I'm not going to let my husband go to hell. I'm not going to let my wife be lost. I'm going to keep this marriage together no matter what. I'm going to push back the darkness. Praise God. Leviticus 26 and 7 says, And you shall chase your enemies, and they shall fall before you by the sword. And five of you shall chase a hundred, and a hundred of you shall put ten thousand to flight. And your enemies shall shall fall before you by the sword. When a few get on the same page, the enemy has no choice but to flee. Finally, hell's half acre is conquered. There's some of you that's got hell's half acre going on right now. That's right where your house sits. And some of you tonight need to put some things together. This is the night to put it together. This is the night to change. This is the night to change. Jonathan, his armor bearer, came to a dark canyon that led up to a high place. So deep with this canyon that the towering cliffs rising on each side were given names. Jonathan's plan was to allow the enemy to see them. And if the enemy told them to stay still, then they would fight in the canyon. If the enemy told them to climb to the mountaintop, then they would fight them up there on hell's half acre. Either way, Jonathan planned for a fight. The enemy spied him. I imagine Jonathan was shouting, Israel's army has arrived. Can you imagine how the Philistines felt? Israel's army has arrived. And one Jonathan, one scrawny little runt behind him, sizing Nathaniel. He loves me. He's got to. He may be a scrawny runt, but he's pretty powerful. I tell you what, if I was Jonathan, I'd want that runt behind me. Because if I knocked him down, I know he'd be with me. That's one thing's for sure. I know he would be. He wouldn't be able, he wouldn't have a sword, but he'd pull a rock out of his pocket and nail him as I got him by. You know, the enemy laughed and said, get up here. Imagine that. You know, John said, here's, here's Israel's army. Two scrawny soldiers, and the enemy laughs. They say, get up here. We'll show you a couple of things. I can imagine what they would think, you know, these two guys. And we talk about, you know, everybody preaches about David and Goliath, but there's so many of these kind of things in the Bible. So many. Two scrawny guys going up against his army. And they are so into it that they climb those canyon walls, and it says they're on all fours. If you, you read it, I read it to you. They were on all fours scrambling up the hill. They were not going to be left out of the battle. I'm going up there. I've got something to do. They were that sure of themselves. Enemy laughed. And I believe personally that Jonathan all the way up there was praising God. Now, that's just me. That's just Robertson. It doesn't say that, but I believe he was. He had to know that God was going to take care of things, so he was praising God. All right, God, I'm not so sure, but I'm going to praise you anyway because I'd like for you to be in this. You know, I really would like for you to be in this, God, and I know that you can do anything. I've seen what you can do. I'd like for you to be with me and my armor bearer so we can go up there and do what I believe is right. So he was praising God all the way up there. 
knowing, knowing in his heart that victory was there. So steep again was the size, the Bible says he began climbing on all fours. His armor bearer was following along as well. I wish, again, I knew what Jonathan was thinking and believing, or how it was going through his mind, what he was saying. He was probably, again, thanking God for the victory that was sure to come. He was probably saying, the victory is mine, no more running. Oh, the victory is mine. I'm not running anymore. I'm so tired of running into the door. It's time to get victory. It's time to win the battle. It's time for God's people to stand up and say, I'm not going to be chased aside like a bunch of cattle. Come on! Aren't you tired of it? One more time, I want a job that pays some money. I want some victory in my life. I'm tired of feeling bad. I'm tired of having pain. I'm tired of my, my, my family being messed up. I'm tired of fighting with my wife and my husband. I'm tired of my kids fouling up all the time. It's time to get victory. to say the enemy's going to fall by this sword. No devil in hell is going to destroy this nation. Oh God, fight for me. I'm going to keep on fighting. I'm not going to give up. I'm going to hold on till the victory comes. Nothing's going to stop me. I'm Jonathan. I'm the son of Saul. I'm going to go up and I'm going to get victory because God, I know that you're in this. They reached that half acre of ground. Jonathan drew his sword. He began knocking down the enemy. The armor bearer came behind him using whatever rocks and boulders he could for weapons. They kept fighting. One killed with a, with a sideways slash to the throat. Another killed with a direct thrust into the abdomen. Another killed with an overhand head basher. Whoops, I missed that one. Just nailed the arm on him. Arms flying off. I'll get him later. He just kept going. Two, four, nine killed, 13, 17, 20 killed. And then all of a sudden the battle was over. You see, what happened was God moved in. It took 20 kills to get God to move in. Whoa. 20 kills for God to move in. You, you get that? That means... You may have to go out and get killed 20 times teaching Bible studies before you finally get one. I know I did. You know, you just keep going. There's 6 billion people on the face of the earth. There's plenty of opportunities for me to get all kinds of Bible studies. If I can't get them here, I'll go to the Philippines and get them over there. I'll get Raquel to interpret for me. So, you know, I, I, there's all kinds of opportunities. Twenty kills, and God moved in. First Samuel 14, 15 says, And there was a trembling in the host, in the field, and among all the people. The garrison and the spoilers, they also trembled. And the earth quaked, and it was a very great trembling. Very great trembling. The Philistine armies trembled. Reinforcements. They thought reinforcements were coming. They must have thought that, that you know, this, this is the sound of chariots. We see the, the fierce bravery of these two men. Can you imagine these two men? One sword killed 20 men. And if they got reinforcements coming, what's going to happen? And what's the rest of the army going to be like? The earth began to shake. A slight trembling became a general panic. The Philistines began fighting one another. Miles away, Saul saw the Philistine army begin to melt away. Only then did they realize that one sword and two men were missing. Only then. 
that they realized what had happened. Saul and his army began to run into the battlefield, but the battle was already over. There's so many times that churches have revivals only because two people prayed them down. Or two people prayed them down and taught Bible studies or filled vans. You see that? And then, then, when you got 15 or 20 that comes to the altars, then the whole army sweeps down. They all want to be a part of it after all the hard work's done. Mm. We're standing victorious on Hell's Half Acre were two men. Their act of courage brought a tremendous victory. They didn't know how many they would have to fight. As it turned out, they only fought 20. But God fought the rest on Hell's Half Acre. God won the victory. You know, listen to me, saints. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Neither are weapons carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. To the pulling down of strongholds. Ordinary people just like you and me, through faith, subdued kingdoms, quenched the violence of fire, waxed valiant in the fight, according to Hebrews 11.33. Just like you and me, we can be victorious. We can quench the fiery wrath of Satan. We can shut the mouths of lions. We can subdue lust through faith and prayer. We will now not grow confused, but the enemy will grow confused. We're going to confuse the enemy at McCormick's Creek Church. No matter what he's tried to do, and he's tried to do a lot here in this, this, this new year, the end of last year and this new year, he's tried to do a lot. But we're still going, and we're still victorious, and we're still seeing victory after victory. We're going to see more victory tonight. We're not, going to, we're not going to be confused. We're going to let the enemy be confused. Don't you ever come to me and say, I'm just confused, Brother Robertson. The enemy's confused. What you see going on around you is God's way of working. Understand that. Understand that God has a way of doing things. Let God be God and let His enemies fall before Him because they will. We need to let God arise. Believe what God is doing. Let the enemies fall away. And you just be a part of confusing the enemy. How do you do that? You do it by praising no matter what. You do it by praying no matter what. You do it by worship no matter what. You do it by being faithful and giving no matter what. Any time. Well... David prayed this. He said, let them be confounded and put to shame that seek after my soul. Let them be turned back and brought to confusion that devise my hurt. Any time in Scripture where you read that the enemy of God's people trembled, panicked, or grew confused, it was when God manifested His presence. Do you understand that? When you have the presence of God in the church, then you are confusing the enemy. That's that's Bible. When God is present, the enemy is confused. He doesn't know. You know, church should just be a place where you come and you get bored for an hour. And when that doesn't happen, he's upset. He says, this is confusing. I've worked on these people forever, and they're coming in here and they're praising God when they should be worried about what's on TV at 10. Are you with me? Do you understand what I'm saying? We've got to confuse him, and you confuse him by being a part of it. That's how you confuse him. 
When Jesus showed up at Gadara, a legion of devils fled. When Elisha prayed before the Syrian army, the Lord went, uh, sent a great noise of chariots, horses, and marching army through the enemy's camp by night. They ran for their life. When God walks into the camp, when God gets on hell's half acre, wherever your half acre is, the result will always be the enemy's dissolution. All God requires is for someone to hold their ground and do their part. That's all. 20 kills. He didn't go up there with a the thought it was going to stop at 20. He went up there and he was going to fight all 10,000 of them. And you see, that's the key. God, whatever it takes, whatever I have to do, whatever many I have to kill, however many devils I have to push out of the way, whatever it takes. And you know, that's when God moves in and you don't have to do nearly as much as you thought. The enemy laid out a plan. He's laid out a plan, and as the music would come. I don't need any singers, just the music. The enemy laid out a plan against you and your family. He's laid out a plan. The only way that plan will work is if you will not stand and fight. That is the only way. I want you to stand with me. If you are of Saul's system, you will not step out in faith. But if you are in the Jonathan company, you will stay and fight. That's what you will do. Battle is a way of life. And I don't care what you say, what anybody says. This world is always going to be in conflict. That's just that simple. It will always be in conflict. In the natural sense and as well as in the spiritual sense, it will always be conflict. The only time we'll have peace is when the Prince of Peace comes and takes the government upon his shoulders. That's what the Scripture says. So there's always going to be conflict. We don't fight one another, but we have an enemy. And that enemy will defeat us if we do not stand and fight. We have to fight. But here again, if you're of the Jonathan company, you will do that. Carnal elders of Bethlehem trembled when they heard that the prophet Samuel was coming to town. How much more does the enemy tremble when the power of Jesus Christ shows up in our lives? You think about this. If, the, if those carnal elders in Israel could be trembling because Samuel was coming to town, how much more? When we walk in with the Spirit of Jesus Christ in our, our hearts, how much more should the enemy tremble when we're around? You see, when you stir up the enemy, things are going to begin to happen. It's going to begin to happen. Where is hell's half acre in your life? Where is it? Where is that high place that hasn't come down? Where is that stronghold that stands against you over and over and over again? I want you, someone in here tonight to claim your children for Jesus Christ. Someone needs to boldly claim God's provision for your life. Are you tired of being without? Someone needs to claim that God will work out your marriage. Go to hell's half acre and call that person's name aloud. Go to it.
Shout, I claim victory in Jesus' name. That's what you need to do. Wherever that hell is, you need to go up to it and say, I claim victory in Jesus' name. There may be a shaking that takes place like you never believed. Let boldness get into your heart. Declare the enemy a defeated foe. Take your position on the rock. Pull out the sword of the Spirit and get ready. And God will show. He'll show up. I promise you one thing. That when you do that, God will show up. He's waiting for people that are willing to take that, that, uh, that chance. Willing to, to believe Him and hold Him at His word. I want us to close our eyes and I'm going to ask you if you need some help claiming the victory for your half acre, your hell's half acre, this altar is open. And if you have never, never experienced the wonderful, wonderful feeling, the wonderful, uh, the wonderful spirit of God dwelling in your heart, this place is open for you. Repentance is the beginning. I ask God to forgive me and to change me. And you can have something that will sustain you, something that will keep you, something that will give you peace, something that will settle you, and you can defeat the enemy in your hell's half acre. This altar is open. If you need God, you've never experienced this wonderful Holy Ghost. You've never been baptized in Jesus' name. You've never taken on that wonderful name of the one who died for you, that will fight for you, that will keep you. If you've never taken His name, and you can take His name tonight, would you come? Eyes are closed. And if there's not room down here, there's room on the front pews or on each side. Would you come? I'm just gonna I'm gonna maintain this for just a little bit. Just for a little bit. I don't feel I don't feel to let go at this point. Would you come? Would you come? Aren't you tired? Don't you don't don't you You know there's somebody there's somebody out there, someone over here that you you have you have skirted around salvation for a long time you've been on the outside looking in you have been abused you ain't been raped i'm sorry i'm just telling you the way i feel you have felt all that and god has talked to you he spoke to your heart and he would like to cleanse you make everything right would you come I'm not really looked out over the congregation. I try not to when I preach so that if God uses me, I don't really know who's here and who's not. I'll leave that up to some other men to do that for me. I want you to come. I want you to come. Deliverance is always just a drawing your sword away. All you have to do is draw and say, I claim victory. In this hell's half acre of my life, in Jesus' name. Over here on my left, when you'd like to be delivered, you have been introverted for so long. You're like a, a snail in a shell. You have hidden your head every time opportunity has arisen. Whether you make it to this altar or not, you know God knows who you are. And now God would like for you to take a step out. He'd like to change you. He'd like to change you. He'd like to help you to have the kind of character that He has.
That's what he would like. Would you come? Would you come? Altar's not shut down, but I'm laying this microphone down. It's always open for you. You know who you are. Maybe you're down here. Maybe God is dealing with you now. Thank you so much. Lord bless you.